and welcome to this week's edition of Liberty Through the Word with Senior Pastor Mark Elin of Liberty Christian Fellowship of Beloit, Wisconsin. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That is to say that the Word of God provides us with physical, moral, and spiritual freedom. Let's tune our hearts and listen as together we experience liberty through the Word. My uh, message this morning is actually about Christmas. You may be thinking, well, Christmas is done. Why are you talking about Christmas? <laughs> well, several reasons. One is that Christmas is, is really a season. And we call it that. We say Jesus is the reason for the season. We don't say Jesus is the reason for the day. And the truth is we start celebrating. And our celebrations sometimes last all month. I'm kind of a Scrooge, though. I don't, I don't really like Christmas. <laughs> I like presents, but I don't really like Christmas. Let me explain. I don't have an endless bank account. Now, I don't know who does, but there must be somebody out there because they really like Christmas. And for, for most of us, because Christmas involves presents, there's a lot of expectation on you to be able to provide presents for children, for parents, for friends, for pastors, for, for whoever. There's this expectation that well, it's Christmas, it's time to give. And when we have expectations, there's this prevailing thought that Christmas should be perfect. I don't know who made up this rule, but I don't like it. But it is one that we find ourselves falling into, that Christmas should somehow be the perfect time of year, where nothing should go wrong, and we should have plenty of money, and plenty of time, and we shouldn't get fat from all those cookies. Well, what all these expectations do is they lead us to make judgments. On Christmas Day, I had my parents over for Christmas dinner, and my biscuits lied to me. They told me they were done. I took them out of the oven, they looked gorgeous. They were golden brown, flaky. We opened them up, they were gooey. They were awful. They lied to me on Christmas. Can you imagine? Now, normally, I wouldn't be upset if my biscuits lied to me. I would just put them back in the oven, but it was Christmas. Everything's supposed to be perfect. Now, isn't that silly? Yes, it is. But where did I get this idea that Christmas was supposed to be perfect? I don't know, but I want to get rid of it. <laughs> I don't like it. What happened is I judged my Christmas dinner less acceptable because the biscuits lied. I blamed the biscuits. It's their fault. Normally, I, I wouldn't have cared. But somewhere in my subconscious, there's a rule that says it's Christmas and everything has to be perfect. Now, this is not really a scriptural idea. And we talk about Christmas being the season of celebrating Christ. And for Christians, that's something we have to work at making happen. Because for the whole world that we live in, Christmas is not about Christ. It's about family, and it's about presents, and it's about everything being perfect. And that mindset tends to leak over to us, where we think Christmas is all about family and presents and expectations. And it leaks over. And it can really steal our joy. I get really stressed out at Christmas because I really do feel like it's a game I can't win. I looked up the word expectation. What does it mean to expect? And Webster just defines that as to look for something as likely to occur or appear, or to look for something as proper or necessary. 
what that means is when we have expectations that Christmas should be perfect, that we look at that and say, it is the right thing to have happen. Christmas should be perfect. And we look for it to be that way. And when it's not that way, we make a judgment. A judgment to judge is to form an opinion about, to criticize, to think or to suppose. To judge is to declare fit or unfit, good or bad, worthy or unworthy. So we declare our own little world of Christmas, either good or bad, based on a variety of things. The first expectation that we have is that we should have a perfect family. Crazy idea. The next expectation we, should have, we often have is perfect circumstances. And the third one is perfect gifts. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about is, is our expectations biblical or are they worldly? Are they realistic or are they unrealistic? And when we have unrealistic expectations, guess what happens? We get disappointed and we judge our Christmas as somehow unfit and unjoyous and not good enough, which is just plain silly. So what did a biblical Christmas look like? If you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it is the setting that the author gives us for the Christmas story. The first thing we're going to look at is Jesus' relatives. We have a false concept that at Christmas, all of our relatives should behave themselves. Aunt Betty and Uncle Joe should not argue at the dinner table. We have all these really great ideas that everyone's going to be in perfect peace and harmony because it's Christmas. There's something about Christmas that makes everybody behave themselves. That's a good idea if we could get it to work, but let's just see what the first Christmas looked like. Now, some of the relatives I'm going to show you here, it doesn't say that they were actually present at the birth of Christ, but the author tells us all about them in the chapter just preceding. I don't think that's an accident. In chapter 1, we have Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are very godly people. They are of the lineage of Aaron. They are of the priestly family. They have dignity. They are well thought of in the community. They are blameless, the scripture says, before God. Godly people. And it just so happens that it's the time of the year when uh, they've cast lots and Zechariah gets to go and minister before the Lord and bring incense. This is a big deal. When he goes in there, something astounding happens. There's an angel. And the angel says to Zechariah, I'm here to tell you something really cool. God has heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. And Zechariah, bless his little heart, basically says, I don't believe you. Where did you come from? How do I know this is true? And Gabriel said, basically, you don't know who you're talking to. I am the angel Gabriel. I come from the presence of God. And I think you talk too much. I think I'm going to make you be quiet for about nine months. And that's exactly what happened. Now, what does Zechariah have to do with our relatives? Well, I think he's a very good example of some of our relatives. Some of our relatives are hard-headed, looking for an argument, unbelieving, stubborn, and some of them even talk too much. And we really wish God would send an angel to make them be quiet. <laughs> so we see one of Jesus' relatives, the first ones we see in Luke, is, is somebody who's stubborn. Even though he's godly, he's got a hard head. An angel of the Lord appears to him, and he doesn't believe. That's stubborn. So what makes us think that if Jesus didn't have perfect relatives who behaved themselves all the time, who did everything right, 
that Christmas is somehow going to make our relatives behave themselves and act properly. I don't know. After Zechariah, we see Elizabeth, only just a smidge though, we just know that she's pregnant. She's uh, five months along, and the, about that time, the angel shows up and says to Mary that, oh, hi, here I am, Gabriel, from the presence of God, come to bring good tidings. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. You're going to name it Jesus. And she said, cool. How are we going to do this? Because, you know, like, uh, I'm a virgin. This is really awesome. Now, this is a great example of the guests that everybody wants to have at Christmas. They don't care how you celebrate it, just as long as they can help you do it. What can I do for you? Oh, that's good. We're going to make ham? Oh, good. Mary is the servant. She has a servant's heart. She makes Christmas a joy. That's the, the relative we want to have. Now, not all of our relatives are like that. We wish they were. We want them all to act like Mary, but they don't. After the angel tells Mary she's going to have a child, and he tells her to go visit Elizabeth, because Elizabeth's going to give birth to John the Baptist. So Mary leaves town and goes to Elizabeth's for about three months until the baby is born. Now get this picture. Young lady pledged to be married, leaves town for three months, comes back pregnant. Says, um, power of God overshadowed me. I'm pregnant with, by a holy conception. Think you're going to buy that? I don't think so. <laughs> I think you're going to go, I don't think so. No, uh, I think we're going to get a divorce. Right after Elizabeth gives birth, it says in the scripture, in, in verse 56 of chapter 1, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his son Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. I call these the pushy, unnamed friends and relatives. Now think about this. We read it so angelically. It's so sweet, such a lovely story. But can you imagine somebody coming to your house and telling you what to name your baby? I don't think so. Anybody here have pushy relatives? They want to come to your house and tell you how you should run it? They want to tell you how to discipline your children? They want to tell you how to do everything? Well, Jesus had those same kind of relatives. Pushy, unnamed friends and relatives. When Elizabeth tried to tell them, no, his name is John, they said, we're going to go over your head. We're going, we're going to the Father. We're not going to have this. That's pushy. That's really pushy. So Jesus' relatives are quite a bunch. Hard-headed, unbelieving, stubborn, argumentative, talk too much, pushy, and some of them servant-hearted. And then at the end of chapter 1, it says, referring to John the Baptist, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. And what does that mean? It means he was weird. It doesn't say his whole family lived in the desert. It says John lived in the desert. They're in a very nice way telling us that John was weird. Now we know now that he was a prophet of the Lord, but you know what his family thought? You're just weird. You would live in the desert, you eat bugs, you're just weird. Anybody here have weird relatives? Now, in chapter 2, one more thing about Jesus' family I want to point out. 
in, in, in verse 1 it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius or whoever was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. Verse 3, everyone went to his own town to register. Who went? Everyone. Everybody. Uncle John, Uncle Zechariah, Aunt Elizabeth. Everybody's going to go to Bethlehem. So, verse 4, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the lineage of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. But the scripture says everybody went. Where was Joseph and Mary's family? Think about it. Young lady leaves town for three months, comes back pregnant with child. Her betrothed is seeking to privately put her away. Who do you think knows all about the supposed immaculate conception? Their families. Do you think their families really believed that Mary was overshadowed by the power of God? No, they thought Mary got in trouble. Why don't we see any evidence of their family taking care of them? This is Jesus' family. And sometimes at Christmas time, we expect our families to take care of us, to visit us, to not abandon us. But we see in the scripture that's exactly what happened to Jesus and his family. Jesus tells us that the servant is not greater than his master. Whatever they did to me, they will do to you. We can look in the scripture and say, where do we get these crazy ideas about perfect Christmases and everything being wonderful and perfect? It's not what Jesus had. It wasn't what the first Christmas looked like. When our families disappoint us at Christmas time, we tend to lose our joy, our peace, our rejoicing, our song. Because Christmas isn't the way we want it to be. But we need to look at the first Christmas. And judge our Christmas, if you will, by biblical standards. What should our expectations be for this time of year? The second expectation we have is perfect circumstances. Nobody's supposed to get sick. Nobody's supposed to die. Nobody's supposed to lose their job. Nobody should really have to pay taxes. We have an expectation that everything in our surroundings should be perfect. Some people want the perfect Christmas tree. I used to want the perfect Christmas tree. Now why I thought a perfect Christmas tree was a big deal, I don't know. I actually did it one year. I actually, I was working and I could afford to go out and buy the stuff and make this beautiful Christmas tree. And it was gorgeous for like three days. Then the tree started to droop, you know, it starts looking a little sad. And what was the big deal about the perfect Christmas tree? How did it enhance my celebration? It didn't. But we want everything to be perfect. This year, there are some people who are having a hard Christmas because of circumstances. Some people are in the hospital. Some people are grieving because last year this time, they lost a loved one. And we say, it's not supposed to happen at Christmas. Bad things aren't supposed to happen this time of year. 
And sometimes people even get mad at God, not because that thing happened, but because it happened at Christmas. We have unrealistic expectations, and those expectations lead us to even greater disappointment and greater pain. Everyone's supposed to have a what? Merry Christmas. And for so many, it's not merry. And they're, they feel guilty because there's this prevailing concept. You know, everybody has to be happy. Come on, laugh. Come on, have a good time with us. Everyone has to have a Merry Christmas. It wasn't so merry the first Christmas. Let's look at their circumstances. Chapter 2. Here is Mary, nine months pregnant, riding a donkey for three entire days. Now, when I was nine months pregnant, all I wanted to do was lay down for three entire days. I didn't want to ride in a car, much less on a donkey. That's uncomfortable. I don't want to ride no donkey when, you, when you're nine months pregnant. Joseph had to walk. He had to walk three days with a pregnant wife who was uncomfortable to go pay his taxes. Now, is that Mary or what? That's not a happy scene. They get there, and they don't have any family there to help them. They've been ostracized. They've been cast out. They've been abandoned. They are fully expecting to find a place to spend the night. Expectations. But there wasn't any room. God provided in the midst of their circumstances. And what we don't realize is that sometimes when we're disappointed about something, it's actually a good thing. We just can't see it yet. It is that looking into the manger, and what is it you see? Do we actually see what's really there? Or do we only see with our eyes? What the story doesn't tell us is that inns in those days were not private places. They were not the Hotel Hilton. You didn't get a private room. You had a room with a family. I mean, it wasn't going to be just Mary and Joseph in their own little room, it, had they gotten an inn. It would have been Mary and Joseph and 12 other people. Now, how many of you want to give birth in front of 12 people you don't know? Nobody I know is going to volunteer for that. <laughs> okay, it would not have been private. And so what looked like something that wasn't a blessing was in disguise a blessing. God gave them a private room, and God even went farther than that. You see, in those days, it was the tradition for your family and friends to come and serenade you when you had your baby. We saw earlier where all of Elizabeth's friends and relatives, the pushy unnamed ones, came to rejoice with her. Well, the tradition was to bring bells and musical instruments and serenade them and rejoice greatly in the birth of a son. But where were their family? Their family had ostracized them, abandoned them. There was no family to embrace them and say, we rejoice with you. But what I love about God is he is not limited by our family. He is not limited by our church. He is not limited by our circumstances. God looks into our heart and says, I see that desire and I will meet it. Watch me be God. And he sent a host of angels to serenade them. It says the shepherds were nearby in a field and the host, heavenly host appeared and proclaimed the glory that God had come to earth and to man. And they rejoice. A little girl who had been misjudged, God vindicated. God said, I see your heart. And even if it's a small thing that you desire, a small thing that will make a difference to you, I will fulfill even your smallest desires if you will let me be God. Don't look to your family 
to make Christmas everything it should be. Don't look to your circumstances to make Christmas everything it should be. Look to Jesus. Years ago, I, uh, for my birthday, I went shopping for something else. And back then, the dollar store had jewelry. And I wanted this $1 necklace, pearl necklace. But we weren't really financially very uh, prosperous. And I could not see spending even a dollar on myself. It would be foolish when I could buy bread or I could buy milk. So I didn't buy it. On my birthday, my friend sent a little package to my house. And in this little package, she wrote a note. And she said, this didn't cost me very much. I don't have very much. But I wanted to bless you on your birthday. I hope you enjoy it. And inside that box was that pearl necklace. It cost one whole dollar. But the cost and the effect was unbelievable. In that gift, I saw the love of my Heavenly Father who says, it may be a small thing, but I delight in doing those little things that show you I hear you, that shows you I love you, that shows you I'm interested in everything in your life. He delights in going, ta-da, I'm God. I love it too. Mary and Joseph could have complained Complained about the three-day journey, complained about the taxes, complained about no end, but they didn't. They didn't make any judgments against God that somehow He was unfair for their circumstances. They looked to Him, and He showed Himself strong on their behalf. When we look for the Lord in our circumstances, He will show Himself strong. When we look to our circumstances to make us happy, we will always be disappointed. The third thing, is we look for is perfect gifts. How many of you, when you go shopping for somebody, you go, oh, that would be perfect for so-and-so. We find a gift, we go, oh, that's perfect for such and such. And we don't want to buy just any gift for somebody. We want to buy what? The perfect gift. I gave some gifts this year that were less than perfect. I could tell by the way they were received. You know when they open it and they give that cheese smile? Oh, yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> I like it, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew when I went shopping this year, I wouldn't be able to impress anybody with the perfect gift. Perfect gifts are very expensive. And I didn't have that kind of money this year. So when I went shopping, I said, Lord, I can't afford to impress them. So help me to just bless them. Help me to pick out something that, even though they may go, oh, thank you very much, when they receive it, <laughs> that later on, they will find that it does bless them. Every year, I ask the Lord to make Christmas new to me. And what I mean by that is I want God to make Himself real to me in a way at Christmas I haven't yet experienced. And God is really wonderful. He always does exactly what you ask Him to do. If you let Him be God, He will show up and go, ta-da. You may not like it, but it's God. And that's kind of what He did. It was hard to give gifts that I prayed about, that I searched high and low for, that are supposed to demonstrate how much I love the person I'm giving it to, to be less that perfect. And the Lord 
reminded me of several times in my life where I judged somebody else's gift. See, that's what I saw when I presented those less than perfect gifts. When they're going like this to their teeth, they're going, oh, what is wrong with you? Why did you buy this for me? Thank you, I don't understand. <laughs> On top of all of that, the Lord reminded me that I had recently misjudged a gift, not with any mean-spirited intention. A friend of mine had bought me a, a lovely gift for my birthday. And I had no expectation because I wasn't expecting a present. And I opened it up and I went, oh, thank you very much. Yes, how very lovely. And get it. And I, I was like, oh, I will love it because you gave it to me. I don't understand it though. And I thought, I just put it through the little calculator in my head. Hmm, $10, $12, probably a garden store. I put it in my house. I look at it every day. I love it because my friend gave it to me and it reminds me of her. When I went Christmas shopping this year, in a place I didn't expect, I found the exact same gift. And it was at least five times as much as I thought it would have cost. And when I saw that, the Lord said, you misjudged the cost of this gift. I said, I'm sorry. I didn't know that it was so costly. And in all of this, the Lord said, you don't know the cost of any gift. The people I presented less than perfect gifts to, do they know how much of my heart went into that? They may be able to guess how much of my money went into that, but they, there's no way they can measure how much love went into that. We tend to judge gifts. Do we find them acceptable? Do we find them perfect? When they're not perfect, we can be very disappointed. So if you got Christmas presents this year that you thought were unusual, interesting, different, and you found yourself maybe just a little disappointed, it's because you had unrealistic expectations of receiving a perfect gift. I want to remind us of the only truly perfect his name is Jesus Christ. You see, we don't see. That's just the problem. We don't see. When somebody hands us a gift or a card or even a hug, we don't have scales that we can put that on and measure how much love, how much sacrifice, how much prayer, how much of themselves went into that gift. When we look into the manger, what do we see? What did Mary and Joseph see when they looked into the manger? A miraculous baby that someday maybe would rule Israel. What did the shepherds see? A baby, a sign that perhaps the deliverer of Israel had come. What did the pushy relatives see? I don't think they saw anything, they're pushy. But there was a man several days after Christ was born when they went to the temple to present their offering. There was a man in the temple who had eyes to see. There was a man named Simeon who took the Christ child into his arms and he saw salvation. He saw the Savior. He saw the cross. He saw the cost of what he held in his hands. 
God Almighty paid an unbelievable cost to give us the perfect gift. God so loved you that he gave his only son, and yet they could not see. If you've never accepted the perfect gift, the gift that contains more love than you could ever imagine, I invite you to receive that gift today. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. We pray that this word is ministered to you today in a powerful way. It is our prayer that the body of Christ be whole and healthy to accomplish the last day's work. Liberty Through the Word is a ministry of Liberty Christian Fellowship of Lloyd, Wisconsin. If you would like a copy of today's broadcast, we'll send it to you for a love gift of any size. You can contact us at 1525 Liberty Avenue, on the web at libertychristianfellowship.com, or by calling us at 608-365-0866. When you contact us, just mention the date of this broadcast. We thank you and boldly declare that there is liberty through the word. God bless.